You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. The Bible says, do not despise the day of small things. Don't despise it. God wants to use it. More specifically, God wants to use you. And maybe you're here this morning, you're sensing that God, yes, he is calling me. But maybe he is calling you to live a life that is greater than yourself. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. We have kicked off a series entitled At the Movies, where we're looking at some of Hollywood's uh, biggest films, and we're looking at the aspects of faith that can be found inside of each one of them. Well, once again, we hope you did have a great 4th of July weekend. And I have to ask this question, a very important question as we begin this morning. How many of you have already binged watched season three of Stranger Things? Let me just see you. See your hands. Okay. All right. Okay. Good. Now I know who to avoid for the rest of the day. Okay. All right. And uh, I thought of making uh, some mean joke about how you could spend, you know, nine hours watching uh, Stranger Things and how much time do you spend with the Lord, but I'm not going to do that, you know, I'm not, that would just be mean on a Sunday morning that you could spend nine hours and not give God one hour every week on a Sunday, no, I'm just kidding, but that would just be so passive aggressive, so, so mean, so let's just not go there at all, even though my wife has taught me amazing passive aggressive skills because uh, that's just what Asians do so well, they're so polite so polite. You don't even know that they are mocking you. You just, they're just so good at it. And uh, so, uh, no, no, no. We're glad that you are here. And if you enjoy Stranger Things, that's totally fine. I literally thought about doing uh, some part of this series on Stranger Things, but I figured last week was our Netflix uh, special last week, so we won't go back to Netflix. Or we'll look at some other popular uh, films that, that are a little bit more common. And today, we're going to be looking at Toy Story. Next week, I'm really excited for... Uh, all the guys in here that enjoy the Fast and the Furious franchise, come back next week for that, and then we'll continue. You've got to throw Marvel Endgame in there, and then we got a surprise at the very end, the very last uh, message in the series. We're going to we'll bring out an oldie but a goodie, and I'm looking forward to just each week. And what this series is really all about, it's a great time to invite friends, family, co-workers to come to church because I believe that there'll be some relevant content that'll be a help and encouragement to them, but also they get a free movie ticket out of it. Plus, it helps get you and I out of our comfort zone. Uh, Jesus gave us a command to go into all the world and to preach or proclaim the gospel. You say, the gospel. If you're new to church, that word may not be familiar. Simply put, the gospel means good News And everybody likes good news. Today, it seems like we don't get a whole lot of it anymore. Uh, but if you've grown up in the church or you've been a, a Jesus follower for any length of time, the gospel, the good news, has ceased to be news to us. Because news is only if you hear it for the first time, correct? And so what happens is because the gospel is no longer uh, good news to us, it's still good to us, but it's no longer news to us, we don't have the same reverence or excitement for it. So what this series does, it gets us out of our comfort zone. 
it gets us back on the focus of going and spreading the gospel, spreading the good news, telling somebody that, guess what? There was a man, his name was Jesus. He died on a cross, and he rose again three days later, and he's coming back for you and I so that we can have an eternal home in heaven. And that's the greatest news that our world needs. And so that's what this series is really all about. If you came for a movie ticket, I'm glad that you're here. But ultimately, my prayer is that you would not only hear the gospel, the good news, but that you would receive it. It's one thing to know it in our heads. It's another thing to have it in our hearts. And it's our prayer at Southridge Church that we exist to lead people to find and follow Jesus. So if you have a copy of God's Word, would you open it to the book of Luke? Luke is in the New Testament, and it's kind of right in the middle of your Bible. If you find Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, one of the, out of the, the third gospel out of the four, and so it's just, just a few books away from Matthew, so if you found Matthew, just go right, if you hit the maps, you've gone too far, back up a little bit, and if some of you are holding your smartphone thinking, I, I am against burning, cutting down trees, and, and killing cows to make Bibles, and you've gone digital, that's totally fine too, I'm a little bit old school, I have both, okay, so I can, I can live in both worlds, all right, I got my Bible up here, but then I got my iPad, which has all my notes, and uh, uh, even though I actually, I open my Bible, and I turn to the passage, but I do everything off of my iPad. You say, why? Because up here, I get a little bit nervous. When I get nervous, I can't read as well. So on my iPad, I can make the font bigger. So it's one of my, one of my little hacks, okay? One of my little life hacks. So uh, I bring it up here for show, but I use my iPad. But I'm glad that you are here. What I want to do is, if you haven't seen the movie, we took our family to go see Toy Story 4 on Tuesday, which is a lot of fun when you take a two-year-old to the movies. I'm totally kidding. It's not fun at all because it, how many know after about 17 minutes they're done and the popcorn's out and uh, all of a sudden they're like, I got this theater myself, I'm going to run around. And there's only so much they can do with that little button that inclines, reclines, heats, and then they want to mess with your button. And so uh, they just start pushing all kinds of buttons. And so going to theater has lost its appeal for me when I go with a two-year-old. But the movie is just enjoyable. I want to show you the trailer right now if we can. Let's go ahead and show the trailer. Everyone, Bonnie made a friend in class. Oh, she's already making friends. No, no, she literally made a new friend. I want you to meet Forky. Uh, hi. Hello. Hi. Ah. <gasps> He's a spook. Yes, yeah, I know. Forky is the most important toy to Bonnie right now. We all have to make sure nothing happens to him. Woody, we have a situation. I am not a toy. I was made for soup, salad, maybe chili, and then the trash. <gasps> Buzz, we've got to get Forky. Affirmative. Why am I alive? You're Bonnie's toy. You are going to help create happy memories that will last for the rest of her life. Huh? What? Oh, <laughs> Bo? Forky, come on. Bo? Bo? Hi there. My name is Gabby Gabby. We can't stay. <laughs> yes, you can. Boys. Ah! Woody, behind you! Bo! What are you doing here? No time to explain. Come with me. We need to get back to our kid. Aw, Sheriff Woody, always coming to the rescue. Bonnie needs Forky. Woody, who needs a kid's room when you can have all of this? Wow. Woody, aren't we going to Bonnie? What do we do, Buzz? What would Woody do? Jump out of a moving vehicle. Let's go! Hey, 
gotta go, you gotta go. If you should ever leave me. You know, you've handled this lost toy life better than I could. Open your eyes, Woody. There's plenty of kids out there. Sometimes change can be good. You can't teach this old toy new tricks. You'd be surprised. Bonnie? We're going home for you. Every day. I was made to help a child. I don't remember it being this hard. Woody, somebody's whispering in your ear. Everything's gonna be okay. Man, Pixar just knows how to do it, don't they? They know how to give you the feels. Now, here's what's crazy. Pixar came out with their first movie 24 years ago. 1995. It's hard to believe that it's been that long since we first were introduced to these amazing characters that hit the screen. But I love how Pixar knows how we think because they, they basically took our, our imagination that we had as a child to create and then they created a toy. And so that's what this whole movie is about. And it's about this, uh, this toy named Forky, which is actually a spork. Now, this is totally off topic for a second, but does anybody know when the spork was first invented? I'm just, just totally curious. How many think it was invented in the 1900s? I'm just, just curious. Raise your hand. You think it was invented in the 1900s? Okay, all right. I see a few going like this, and you would be wrong. And I thought, surely, 1970, somebody on LSD in the Bay Area probably invented it. That's probably how it came about, right? And I was so wrong. I was so wrong. And it actually was invented in 1874 by a man by the name of Samuel Francis. Samuel Francis was a doctor. He was a novelist. He was a philanthropist. He was an inventor. He was a man about town. Basically, he was the Tony Stark of the 1800s, all right? And so he invented the spork. He just thought, this is so practical, except he had an edge on his that you could also cut. So his was a, I'm not even going to try to add the, the knife into the spork, but his had a little knife edge on it, and he got the patent, the copyrights, but the name spork wasn't copyrighted until somebody in the Bay Area on LSD came up with the name in 1970, okay? So that part of the story is a little bit true, okay? All right. So uh, now here's what's crazy. This whole thing revolves around a spork. How creative is that? That's something that you and I would kind of make fun of as a kitchen utensil that we'll see in uh, school cafeterias or you'll see it, used to see them a lot at fast food chains. And uh, so the sport invents this toy. And all of a sudden, Woody, for the first time in his little life, is no longer the favorite toy. It took him 24 years and four films, and Woody finally has been replaced. And so Woody in this film is really struggling with this. This film is kind of meta. It really is. Like, it, like it, it's, it's an interesting film because it's actually, I don't know if you know this, it's not for kids. You say, yeah, did you not see the creepy little dolls in there? And uh, no, 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 no. It's totally not geared toward our children, though they kind of throw that in there. They actually wrote the movie for the kids that first saw the first one. Because 24 years later, they're in their mid-30s to early 40s. And what are they dealing with? Transition. What are they dealing with? They're dealing with midlife crisis stuff. 
all of a sudden, Woody now resonates more with the parents and the kids. And some of the kids are like, we're going to go have fun. And mom and dad are like, this is so life. I mean, this is just real. I mean, think about it. when you first meet Woody, what is Woody worried about? He's worried about anything new. And that's kind of how we start off. Anything new or different, we're kind of afraid of. Second movie, he's worried about falling apart. He's getting old. And so he thinks about going to a museum in Japan or China. The third movie, he's worried about losing Andy and, and that change. And now he's worried that I'm replaced. And how do I handle that? And so we see that he finds a mission to take this little fork, Forky, and he's going to make that his mission. And it's interesting because I love how they made this movie about something so insignificant, so kind of lovable, so adorable. If you watch it constantly, Forky thinks he's trash, and he's constantly trying to self-destruct by jumping in the trash. And then you constantly see Woody, and I'm not giving away any of the spoilers here, you constantly see Woody going after and saving the fork over and over and over. And so we see this little guy who is kind of the main character, and I love how these little things can have big roles. And it reminds me of Luke 5. And if you have your Bible or if you have a copy of God's Word, you can turn there. If not, look up on the screen. Let's just look at a few verses. I've got a very simple message this morning that I hope will encourage and bless each and every one of us this morning. Luke 5, verse number 1. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the Word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them there and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. I think it's interesting that Jesus chose Simon's boat out of all the boats, out of any of the boats. Simon's from Capernaum. Capernaum is a, uh, a small little village off the Sea of Galilee. I've been there, and you can, see, you can go there, and it was just, you could imagine that there would be tons of boats that would fish on the Sea of Galilee. But he specifically picked Simon's boat. And I wonder why. I think part of it is because Jesus knew that Simon would let him use this boat. I think too often we step back and we say, God, I want to do something great for you. God, I want to be used by you. And God says, yes, but you won't even do the simplest things like launch out in a boat or let me borrow your boat. And so Peter says to Jesus, yeah, go ahead. We can use my boat. Peter's just fished all night, and he'll share that with Jesus. And so he helps Jesus teach from the boat. Then in verse 4, the Bible says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied. He's being, Peter's being very respectful. To call someone a master is, is a sign of utmost respect in that culture. We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. Peter's respectfully declining. He's been a little bit passive-aggressive. He's saying, hey, you know this Bible stuff, and you're really smart. And theology, you've got that down. You're super good at that. Even, you're even good at building tables and chairs, and, and you could put together Ikea furniture. I mean, you're talented. But when it comes to fishing, Jesus, I am a fisher man. And you could just imagine as Peter with some bravado, some pride in his work and in his calling, says, Jesus, we fished all night and we didn't catch anything, nothing. Come up empty-handed. And sometimes life feels like that, doesn't it? You're working so hard at your job and you come up empty. You're working so hard at your marriage and you just feel like you're just kind of being left out in the cold and emotionally avoided or maybe even physically avoided. And so now you're thinking, my life just isn't going how I want. I just feel empty inside. And so Peter is expressing this to Jesus. And Jesus says, 
No, let's, let's go out. And Peter says something very profound. He says, nevertheless, he says, but if you say so, I will let down the nets again. Even though it doesn't make sense. Even though I've already tried this. Even though you're doing nothing different than I've already done. Even though it doesn't make sense, I'm still going to do it. Because sometimes God's going to ask us to do things that don't make any sense. And we have to say, God, this is not a moment where I need to feel it to do it. This is a moment where I need to have the faith to do it. The faith that steps out and believes that as I obey God's command, that I will be rewarded in this moment. So Peter is now going to exercise his faith in verse 6. And at this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught. And as the others were with him, his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. As soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. There's two parts of the story that just don't make any sense. The first part is when Jesus is telling the fishermen how to fish. It doesn't make any sense. And then the second part is when the fisherman catches the fish, he leaves the fish. It doesn't make any sense. So let's dive into it this morning, shall we? Because sometimes life doesn't make any sense. Here's a, here, here's a sport that becomes a child's favorite toy. It just doesn't make any sense. But at this time and in this film, it's going to make a great film and it's going to be used. And so I want to look at three points this morning. If you're taking notes, you can write them down. They're simple. I want to look at a boat, a bush, and a boy. That's it. That's our message. The next few moments, we're going to look at three of those. I was talking with my son this week in the backyard. And uh, I, I love hanging around Austin because you never quite know what he's going to say. And uh, it's always good. It's always great. It's just something that you're just like, wow, you, for being six years old, you are brilliant. The way he sees things, the things he says, it just, it just grabs you in a new way, in a new light. And uh, so uh, I have a pretty good-sized backyard, but I've got these uh, big... Uh, rock flagstone things in my backyard they're decorative and he was running and he is wearing chinelas if you're not Filipino those are flip-flops okay and he's running and he biffs hard and he catches his flip-flop he tears it and then he just eats it and I'm a good parent as soon as I heard him crying and screaming I said to him what happened because that's what a parent does not are you okay how are you doing I have three kids so I'm now down to what happened now like like you're always crying you know like what happened and then through tears in his eyes and skinned up knees he says I got hurt I shouldn't have to explain it I was like he's brilliant he's brilliant I mean yeah you're right your dad's an idiot well, I mean, of course I know what happened, you know, I'm just, it's just one of those things where he just, he just knows, you know, but I think that's how we are with people as a church, aren't we? Somebody will come into church and we're like, hey, you look like you have a past. You don't quite fit the mold of a typical church goer. I don't know if I want to sit by you or help you or get to know you. Explain yourself. And I think they're like Austin and they're saying, I'm hurt. I shouldn't have to explain it. You see, too often that's what we do to people. We want them to explain the situation. 
You see, God wants to use even the most simple of places and people and circumstances in a profound way. But you and I sometimes are guilty of stopping the work in their life and in their heart. Why? Because we think that they need to explain themselves as if they need to validate what happened to them. Or it's just because we want this lust for carnal knowledge and we just want to know some juicy gossip about their past. Instead of simply saying, you know what? Yeah, come here. What did Peter say to Jesus? Jesus, I, I, I'm a very sinful person. But did that stop Jesus from saying his next words? That, hey, no longer are you going to fish for fish, but you're going to fish for man? It didn't stop the calling that God had on his life. But yet you and I are so guilty sometimes of not responding to people how Jesus would respond. You see, Jesus takes something so simple, so small. He says, I'm going to use a boat in a profound way. And I want to use, and I want to I get into this boat, and I want to get into this life, because really, it's a metaphor for getting into somebody's life. He really wanted into Peter's life. Because too often, as a man, we find our calling and our identity in what we do, and not in who God is in us. And so what did Jesus do? He said, I got to get into the thing that he thinks his identity's in there, and I got I to gotta become the identity. I got to get in the center of it. So what Jesus does is he wants to get in the center of your job. And you feel like my job's falling apart and my marriage is falling apart and my relationship with my kids is falling apart. No, no. God is saying I'm at the center of this. And I want to get in the middle of this so that all you can see is me. Not the boat, not anything else, but it's about Jesus. And Jesus wanted in the center. And this morning, if you're feeling a little angst, a little anxiety, you're feeling a little bit left out, a little bit out on the fringe, understand this, that Jesus is just trying to get into your life. Why, though? To do exactly what he told Peter. I want to take you a little bit farther and a little bit deeper. He says in verse 4, Peter says, Jesus, we haven't caught any fish. And Jesus says, let's go out to the deep. What are you and I not prone to do? Deep waters. We want to stay where it's easy. I was at a pool uh, party with uh, some of the people in the church, and I was amazed because I, I really haven't been around a pool with my, my son, Cain, too much. But all of a sudden, he just jumps in, and he's got his little floaties, and he's just in the middle of the pool, just totally happy. And he's just kicking away. And I was like, I would be scared to be in the middle of the pool. But he's fine, you know, because he's got his little floaties, and he's just floating around. He didn't, didn't matter that his feet couldn't touch the ground. He's just like, I'm good. I'm fine, you know. And uh, he was totally happy out there. But yet you and I, we're, we're not prone to go to the deep. We want the comfort of the shores. We just want to sit on the dock. We just want to watch the sunset and see the waves. But Jesus calls us out to a greater life. He calls us out to a life of, event, of adventure. You see, Woody is so us, isn't he? Because he was always playing it safe. He's like, no, 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 we got we to gotta, we gotta keep doing the same thing. And then he meets a character in Toy Story 4. Her name is Bo. Bo was the, uh, the, the toy of Andy, Woody's first owner's sister. And that was the, uh, was, was the toy. Bo was that toy. And, and, and in the first and second film, uh, Bo and Woody kind of have a romantic interest. And Bo has lost sight of, or of Woody. And, and Woody finds Bo, and she, he sees that she's this adventurous person that loves living out on the extremes and having an adventure. And I thought, Wow. That's what God's trying to do. God's trying to pull us out of our humdrum life and into the life of faith. 
And you and I, we're so risk-averse that we don't want to step out of our comfort zone and invite somebody into a relationship with Jesus and share the good news with someone. We don't want to tell somebody who's far from God that, guess what, you may have suffered a little bit, you may be in a bad situation, but that doesn't stop the love, stop the love of God from coming after you. And so we see that God wants to invade such a simple thing as a boat, and he wants to use it. But often you and I, we're hesitant. Why? Because we give in to fear. We let fear stop us. You see, we are a generation of people who are just afraid of so much today. We're afraid to go out into theaters and malls, and we're afraid to be in big crowds. We're afraid to be by ourselves. We're, we're in so much fear, and so now we've created a society where now depression is such a big epidemic, and we're just afraid all the time. And fear packs a powerful punch, doesn't it? And so too often we as Jesus followers, we're afraid. We're afraid to live boldly, to proclaim his truth. There's a prayer I've been challenged to pray recently. It's the prayer of confidence. That God, give me confidence in who you've called me to be and what you want me to be. Because too often I can, I can act so passive and I can just not be who you've called me to be. So God, as you called me out into the deep waters, Lord, help me to be bold in who you've called me to be. You see, deep implies that we go farther. God wants us to go farther. But you and I, we're afraid of the risk. We're afraid of going out. But we need to have a reason to go out, don't we? I say it like this. Woody's reason for leaving comfort was for a spork. Here's my question. Who's your spork? Who's that person that motivates you, says, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone because I care about that person. I care about that person so much, I will do what doesn't make sense to reach that person because I want to go after that person. So we see, first of all, that God, he uses a boat. But if you go to the Old Testament, Exodus chapter number 3, there's another man. His name's Moses. Moses thought God was going to use him in a profound way in the nation of Israel, uh, Egypt, to, uh, to free the, his fellow citizens of Israel. And he thought, man, God's going to do it, and it doesn't go exactly how Moses plans but in Exodus chapter number 3, we see something really powerful that happens. You see, the Bible says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't this bush burning up? I must go and see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. You see, God said, I'm going to use something to get this man's attention. He said, I'm going to use a bush, something small, insignificant. A bush is something you see everywhere. They're just so general. And God says, hey, I'm going to use this bush because I want to get this person's attention. Why? Because God wanted to call Moses out into a deeper life. He wanted to call him out farther. You see, we think it was Buzz Lightyear who first coined the term to infinity and beyond. He actually stole it from God. Because God calls us to infinity and beyond. He calls us to go beyond what we think possible. He calls us to live a life of faith and adventure. But too often, we're the ones holding back. We're the ones holding on for any sign of security that we can. Whether it's financial security, whether it's relational security, or whether it's our positional security, or maybe it's in our status. We will find something that seems secure, and we will grab onto it. 
And God is saying, there is nothing in this life secure but me. I'm the rock. I'm the one that you can plant your life on. And so God, he stepped into a boat, and then he steps into a bush to get this person's attention. And then he lights the bush on fire so that Moses sees it. You see, I love how God takes something so unremarkable as a bush on fire. We're in California. Forest fires are, are totally common. We're, we're not even surprised. I've spent several years in the Midwest and down south. And uh, when I say down south, I'm not talking about Southern California. I'm talking about Southern United States and Tennessee where they do barbecue and they talk with a drawl and an accent and uh, all that. And I've spent time with them. And it, 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 it rains so much they don't get the forest fire. So if anything's on fire, it kind of creates a little bit of a panic. Out here, we're kind of like, oh, man, the air quality's bad. Better bring my pets inside. Come on. That's, that's, air quality's not good. You know, we're just so used to it. But in that day and age, just imagine Moses, he sees this bush that's on fire, and it arrests his attention because he's been a shepherd for 40 years. He's over 80 years old, and he's thinking, my life is all but spent. It's all but over. But yet God says, hey, I'm going to use a boat, but I'm also going to use a bush. I'm going to use this bush because I want to get your attention because I want to call you into a life that is greater than the one you're experiencing now. You see, God is calling us into something. You see, but he'll use something so unremarkable. Sometimes I'm afraid we miss God because we're waiting for these big moments. We're waiting for these voice out of the sky. But instead, sometimes I'm guilty of this. God will speak to me, but he will speak to me through my wife. And so I'll ignore it. And I heard the amens from the ladies. They're like, uh-huh. I saw a little elbow, a little jab. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't abuse it. I'm telling you what, you can take that way too far, okay? Yeah, God wants you to pick up your socks, do the laundry, take me out once a week, give me a bigger allowance, extend my credit, buy me a new Porsche. You know, I don't know if God said all that. I think God just wants your husband to love you a little bit better, okay? All right, maybe he did say that one, okay? But it's amazing. Sometimes we don't realize that God is speaking. Hey, sometimes I know We'll show up to church, and we don't even think that God is really even speaking then. We don't. Some of us, we just come in and be like, oh, that's good for them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they, they don't, they're not very loving to people. That's, that's for her. Oh, yeah, you definitely need that message. And we just sit here judging people in the church that we think need this message, and we don't understand that God is actually directing this message toward us and our hearts. You see, we need to step back and say, God, I need to see people differently. God, I need to see myself differently. Because in, in, in the movie Toy Story 4, all the other toys were suspect of Forky. As a matter of fact, I love how they are even like, he's a spork. But Woody's like, no, no, no. This is Bonnie's new favorite toy. Woody saw value in the spork. I heard a pastor say this week, and I wrote it down because I thought it was so good. He said, how we perceive them is how we'll receive them. How you perceive somebody is how you will receive them. You see, sometimes we look down on people, and instead of embracing them, instead of saying, you know what, God loves you just as much as he loves me. You may wear a suit and a tie, and I may wear flip-flops and shorts, but God still loves us equally. Hey, you may not have a home and have to live on the streets, but God loves you the same. Hey, you may be in foster care, but God loves you the same. Hey, you may have a disability, but God loves you the same. Hey, guess what? Let's take it a step farther. You may like same-sex God still loves you. You may have same-sex attraction, and God still loves. Whereas sometimes we as a church, people are just kind of like, think that we're just, oh, no, no, God loves everybody, but. And we start putting the labels on who we think God loves. But God says, nothing stops my love. 
The moment you become a parent, you understand this truth in a deeper way. That you, you're just like, man, my kid can do some terrible things that really break your heart. But all of a sudden, you're like, but it's still my kid. I still love them. I'll still do anything for them. And God is saying, I still love them. And what kind of God would our God be if he says, I love everybody but X, Y, and Z? No, that wouldn't be a good, good father. And so God is saying, no, 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 I will step into any situation. I will step into any life. And God says, hey, I will use a boat. I will use a bush. Because why? I'm trying to get somebody's attention. And I love how God uses a bush, and he's trying to spork something into into Moses' life. See what I did there? Spark, spork. You didn't catch it. It's still too early. It's all right. Bad preacher, but don't joke. But anyway, God is just trying to spark something alive inside of us. I love this past Christmas, uh, we did a candlelight service. Many of you that were there, uh, you might remember a particular event. Or if you were here on Mother's Day, my wife shared this particular event. Because we all had candles, and we were singing maybe Silent Night or something like that, or Joy to the World. We lit our candle, and I was thinking, man, I have a very responsible 18-month-old. He should have a candle. He should have real fire right now. So it's just a typical dad move, right? You just think, man, my boy can handle it. So I get down next to him, and uh, I'm, I'm leaning, and I'm kind of helping him. I was hold, helping him hold his candle. But my wife, who is behind our son, who is an excellent mother, who knows that a flame anywhere close to an 18-month-old is just a bad idea. And whatever husband she married that has also the same idea, thinks it's a good idea, he's an idiot. And uh, he should be lit on fire. And so we're holding this candle. And, and my wife, uh, she, she had to cut her hair, and you'll know why in a moment. It was a little bit longer, a little bit more fuller, but she had pulled it forward like this, and she had a big poofy scarf and everything, and she used a lot of hairspray that day, a lot of hairspray. And she has her candle in her left hand, and then she sees me down here, so what does she do? She leans over, and all of a sudden, she's doing a Michael Jackson Pepsi commercial because her hair is on fire, and she doesn't know it right away. But all of a sudden, we had a drummer who was on the drums who was just like, uh, bum bum And my wife's like, thank you. I'm on fire. I look good. No, no, no. You're on fire, you know? And her hair was on fire. Literally was on fire. And, of course, it was my fault that she lit her hair on fire. I don't know how it was my fault. I mean, I was just with our 18-month-old giving him a perfectly safe candle. No, I'm totally at fault. I'm totally the idiot that did that. But here's what's amazing. You light yourself on fire, people will come watch you burn. They really will. When's the last time you saw a Jesus follower who was just on fire for God? You see, we start out that way, don't we? We start out with this passion and with this zeal, and we just want to tell people about the good news of the gospel, that he changed our life, so we want it to change other people's lives. So we go to work telling people about it. Man, at our, at our break time, we're like, I'm going to bring a copy of the word of God, and I'm just going to read it, and I'm going to tell people what he's doing. Man, I'm going to invite people to church. I want to tell people and invite them in my home and just let them know how much that I love them and God loves them. And, man, he's dealing with sins in our heart, and he's changing us. We're becoming a better person, and people around us are being blessed because we're now not not as stingy or greedy. We're more loving, more kind, caring, compassionate. And God is doing all these things through us. Why? Because we're on fire. And guess what? That's attractive. That's attractive to people. When they see somebody who's passionate about what they believe in. And so this morning, God, he invaded a boat. He invaded a bush. And let me share one last one with you. In John 6, Jesus, he's talking to the crowds. And all of a sudden, he looks over at his disciples and says, hey, there's all these crowds. And guess what? It's late in the day. We need to feed them. And the disciples, they take their, their money and they pull it together and say, Jesus, we don't, we don't have enough money to feed this large a crowd. 
And the Bible says that Jesus said this to test them. Because Jesus told them, I'm the bread of life. So the bread of life can take care of this situation. As a matter of fact, you want to get real meta. Jesus is the bread of life who was born in a stable. As a matter of fact, we put into a manger. What is a manger? It's a feeding trough. The bread of life was in a feeding trough. Wow, that's pretty meta right there. That Jesus said, guess what? I am to be the bread of life. And guess what? The first place that they're going to rest me is going to be in a manger that feeds people. You see, Jesus knew that he could feed this crowd. But Andrew, I love Andrew. This is Peter's brother. Andrew finds a little boy. Andrew has a small solution. He says, I got a little boy here, and this boy has some loaves and some fishes. But that's probably not for me and him. I found him, so we buddies now. We're going to share. You remember elementary school? You always had that friend who always had a really good lunch, couldn't eat all of it, so you became his friend. You didn't really hang out with him, but he always had good food. So you were just like, oh, we're buddies. I'll trade you my broccoli for your pudding. And uh, he, he, he would do it, you know. And uh, so you always had that friend, and, and it's almost like Andrew's doing that. But Jesus says, bring it here. And as Jesus began to bless it and break it, it multiplied. The blessing was in the breaking. You see, God stepped into these three situations, and he fed multitudes, and he took care of crowds, and he did miracles. But what do all three of these things have in common? They're all common. That's what they have in common. There's nothing special about them. I think so often we think, God, you can't, you can't do great things through my life. I'm just so common. And I think we forget the fact that Peter and Andrew and Bartholomew and Matthias and all these disciples were so common. There was nothing special about them. There was nothing special about a bush. There's nothing special about this boy. I just finished the biography of Luis Palau. He was called the Billy Graham of Latin America, and he preached to huge crowds. He once preached to 60,000 people in Times Square. God used him in a profound way. He has terminal cancer. Not sure if he's going to live past Christmas or Thanksgiving. So he wrote a book. And I love the fact how he ended his book. He said, there is nothing special about Luis Palau. He said, there's nothing special about me. But he said, there's some very special things about the God who used me. You see, God wants to step into that situation. And God wants to step into your life, but too often we're the ones holding him back. You see, Jesus can do what you can't. Jesus is what you aren't. And Jesus is calling you, but many won't. I want to bring you to a point of decision. The only thing stopping you is you. You see, in God's family, there is no such thing as a nobody in God's family. God says, I want to use all of you the same. You think, oh, man, I could never stand up there and preach. I could never teach the rich kids. Oh, I could never lead a life group. Oh, I could never start a movement of God. Oh, I could never. And you're right, you never will if that's your attitude. But I hope we step back this morning and at Pixar, can make $26 million on opening weekend of Toy Story 4 and a movie centers around a spork. I mean, just what have we come to? That you and I spent hours to watch a spork on a screen. 
and we gave $26 million to them. All of a sudden, I'm realizing that very small things can have a huge impact. The Bible says this, do not despise the day of small things. Don't despise it. God wants to use it. More specifically, God wants to use you. And maybe you're here this morning, you're sensing that God, yes, he is calling me. But maybe he is calling you to live a life that is greater than yourself. You see, you need to understand something. You and I are at the center of our life, but it's not for status. It's always for service. You say, how do you know? Let me circle back around. Luke 5, the fisher of men tells the disciples, hey, you're not going to fish for these anymore. You're going to fish for people. And they leave it all there. But they didn't leave it. They didn't just, ah, I'm not going to do anything with it. What did Jesus tell Peter to do the last time that Jesus and Peter had a one-on-one conversation? And to John, he said, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter had a boat full of fish, and there was a crowd that just listened to Jesus. What was Peter doing? He wasn't leaving it behind. He was fulfilling his calling. He knew that I'm called to feed these people. I'm called to minister to these people. I'm called to do something about this. And if fishing makes a difference, then fishing makes a difference. If you're a police officer, you're a police officer that can make a difference. If you're a nurse, you're a nurse that can make a difference. If you're an engineer, you're an engineer that can make a difference. If you're a single parent, you're a single parent that can make a difference. If you work in child protective services, then you work in child protective services and you make a difference. If you say, I'm unemployed, then guess what? You can make a difference as unemployed. If you're in full-time ministry, you can make a difference in full-time ministry. If you are a banker, then you can make a difference. If you are the trash truck driver, you can make a difference. There is not a man, woman, or child that God does not want to use in a profound way. Today, more than ever, we have a great opportunity to see a revival spark through our country and through our land and that people would rise up and say, guess what? I'm going to give God everything I've got because he's given me everything. And so at this point in time, we've got to stand up and say, guess what, God? If you can use a boat and if you can use a bush and if you can use a little boy, then guess what? Please use me. Please use me. God, I give you my life. I surrender to you right now. May that be the prayer and the heartbeat of our church, that we are a church that says, hey, we may not have a lot of things, but guess what? We are sold out to God. We are dedicated to Him. So that changes the way we think about people. It changes the way we perceive them, because the way we perceive them is how we'll receive them. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.